Hey, everybody. Welcome to the TechConnect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. And I'm James Cordy. Hey! There you go. Back <laughs> again. Back. Finally back to finish off the epic trilogy yes. uh, of creating demand, how to reach your customers mm-hmm. in a timely fashion, how to get out in front of them long before we normally do. So, yes, James is back. Uh, James Cordy, of course. If, if, you, if you listen to this podcast at all, you know who James Cordy is. How do they point. not know at this point? Yeah, exactly. You would have to know by Unless this, this is your first, very first episode, in which case, if it is, this is James Cordy. He's kind of our, <laughs> our digital marketing guru. He's our marketing guru in general. He knows, probably has forgotten more about marketing yes. than the rest of us will ever know. No so, doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, we're back with part three. Well, I'll tell you about the other two parts here in a moment. Uh, of a, uh, a discourse about, uh, based on a book called The Challenge Customer. We're going to get today into more about finding advocates mm-hmm. for your business to mm-hmm. help you go out and kind of preach your products and services to other people within the company so that you can potentially win some business. We'll explain a little bit more about that, how to, how to maybe do that, some of that demand creation, what we've learned over the years as it relates to content marketing, hint, hint. Yep. Uh, we'll get into you know how to overcome some hurdles when it comes to working with those people, maybe what those people might look like, who the, mm. who the person can be that can be the advocate for your company, uh, how we, you know, who we should or shouldn't be getting in front of, yes. how do we make that person fall in love with us, and and once they're ready to fight we're, for us, what do we give them? How do we how do we equip them? Yes, so, yes. We're falling in love? Uh, falling in love, yes. <laughs> this episode we're, will we're, actually be out close to Valentine's Day, I think, so, um, so there you go. We're making customers fall in love This is our Valentine's us. episode, how there to make you your customers right. fall in love with you. When did we shoot part one of this? How long has this saga oh, been dragging on? It's, it's been a while. Like, I don't remember the exact uh, day, but I've got the episode. We're, we're in the 80s in episodes. That was number 45 when we started. Don't think I've ever taken this long to read a book. It's been a busy 12 months. You've got some been, things on your plate. Yeah, you've yeah. had a few things on oh, your plate. Yeah. If we decide to do something like this next time or again, right. I'll, uh, I'll speed up the process. We'll wait until you're so. actually done next time. We just couldn't <laughs> wait. Good idea. You kept telling us all this cool stuff from the book, so we had to get in here and start recording yeah, and talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it worked For because sure. we, we found three good podcasts we get to make out of it. So. Thank you. All that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, so hey, uh, again, don't need to give a thorough introduction of James here, but nope. you know, welcome back. You know, I will say though, we haven't really mentioned that at the time when you got Dean got his promotion uh, to VP of marketing, yes. we, we bumped up Cordy a little bit too. Yes. He's kind of taken over our Varcom program. He's, yes, you know, overseeing our Marcom team in general. He's kind of taking your spot Absolutely. to some extent. Yes, you know, yes. Of, of all the day to day stuff you were yep. doing. So congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Well deserved. Well um, deserved. So now I'm sitting here with two of my bosses, I guess. (laughs) That's not awkward at all. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, whatever. Still my podcast. Good. The same respect as always. I love it. (laughs) Exactly. Still my. That's how we roll around here. Okay, so so we're going to do this conversation today about this idea of finding advocates for your business to help Mm. you go to bat because – Sure, you can go. Everybody, you know, wants to be that salesperson that gets to go in and pitch themselves and mm-hmm. and win the business on their merit and, and yeah. tenacity. Look what I did, right? But let's 
be honest, it helps when you have people that can help you out. And if those people are within the very company that you're trying to win over, mm. that's even that much better. If it's someone that they respect and will listen to and they know understands their business, obviously, because they're within it, that's the kind of person you want to reach out to. But mm. first, let's quickly do a little recap of what we covered in the first two pods. All right. Um, I am going to put some links in the show notes. If anybody wants to check these episodes out, go back. So episodes 45 and 60 were the first two that we did around this topic. Um, the first one was all about how buying groups work. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this all came from this challenge customer, challenger customer book. Um, I will put a link to that, you know, in the in the notes as well, where you can mm-hmm. buy that. But I think we've kind of covered quite a bit of it in these podcasts. So we read it for you kind of thing, or James <laughs> read it for all of us. Uh, so in that initial one, this whole how buying groups work, we're talking about the idea that most buying groups are five to six people, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they can represent a wide swath of people from the company. They all yep. kind of come in with their own agendas. Yep. The big takeaway that we came up with also was that typically speaking, by the time someone in, in our world, a reseller, let's say, you know, or, or an ISV or whatever, gets in front of one of these groups or hears from them or talks to them or finds out that they are interested potentially in their product, they're already more than halfway. The stat was 57%, 57% of the way through, yeah. their buying process. through their buying process, which is pretty far. Mm-hmm. And by the time you then get involved, they've already made some some concrete ideas. They've already had a lot mm-hmm. of back and forth and banter. And there's probably a lot of things they've already decided they will and won't do. Mm-hmm. They may shut you out of being able to bring the solution you think you should bring to the table. Mm-hmm. It may keep you from even getting involved to begin with. Right. And, and what the book says is these groups are often somewhat dysfunctional because, right. as you said, competing priorities <laughs> or whatever. And it's not. It's like you know, a family, right? You're exactly. dealing with the family for crying out <laughs> I want this or I want that. Yeah. And so, you know, the issue is that when they do finally reach out, to your point, John, they've already kind of crystallized some of their requirements. Right. And the issue there is they're oftentimes a lowest common denominator of right. what a. What makes everybody know, happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of the business value a solution could provide, they all, okay, we can agree on this. Right. Whereas, you know, if you could get in front of them sooner as a supplier, you can help them understand their existing pain. What about their business is flawed and help help convince them that it needs to change and what that change looks like. That you know ultimately leads to a higher value deal on your end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then in part two, we kind of started getting into that. Then how do you get in front of them sooner? Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is creating some sort of demand, like mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. yourself in a position where you are explaining to them, "Hey, here's what I understand about your business, your challenges." Um, the idea was this: the, the kind of the big point is that you're combating the status quo. Yes, right. Absolutely. And most people don't know that something needs to change. Until someone either tells them that it needs to change or something breaks, basically. Mm-hmm. And if it's the breaking thing, that's where sometimes you end up finding yourself behind the eight ball because mm-hmm. you're coming in late after they've already, you know, they're scrambling maybe to get something done. They might take the first thing they could find. And again, they might be getting a group of people together that just all have a common denominator that they can, you know, throw right. out there instead. And then it becomes about price, right? And you're up against a exactly. couple other competitors who they all view as offering the same product or service, right, right. which is not ideal. Yeah, and they refer to it as kind of upending the buyer's mental model. Right. So we all have a mental model in different aspects of our life, but as it relates to you know business or work, you believe you understand the factors that are you know uh, affecting your business, and then they talk about the concept of a commercial insight or something that's going to break the frame of your mental model and help you understand, like you just said, John, something you didn't 
either know at all or something you didn't fully appreciate about your business, right. usually on the negative side. Right. You know, holy smokes, if we were doing this differently, we would be saving this much money or being this much more productive or, you know, whatever that kind of value prop is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it is very hard to approach somebody that has already decided they're looking for something and tell them, well, hey, here's where stuff's broken and we can fix this. If that's not where they are at that point, they're like, that's whatever. Like, I'm not concerned about that. We're just trying to do X, Y, Z. Right. And we need X, Y, Z. Tell mm-hmm. us what your price is. Right. Right. But instead, do you have these features? Exactly. If you're getting to them sooner, you're breaking that mental model and you're explaining to them, hey, you may not have thought about this, mm-hmm. but this is broken in your business. Mm-hmm. And then ideally what's happening is they're thinking to themselves, man, they're right. That is kind of broken. I didn't realize that before I saw this, heard this, read this, but they're right. So I guess, you know, that kind of gets us to where we are now with this conversation, maybe our starting point here, because we kind of started hinting at that, I think, at the end of the last episode, but didn't really have the time to get into it, which is how to create that demand. What kind of content, what are we putting in front of people in order to get them to start thinking about where where is things wrong in my business that I didn't know before? And it's something we're good at, but we do a lot of this on our AppWare campaign side in particular, mm-hmm. where we go out and find pain points and challenges and present content to people about those in the particular industry and in a particular area of their business that they may not be thinking about, but that a solution exists for. We're trying to tell them like, hey, ahead of time, maybe think about this because it could be broken in your business too, right? So let's talk about that a little bit more. How you know how What is the approach there? What is the idea behind how to how to break in, find pain points, and create the demand that will lead us to where we need to go. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think the key thing that that we've believed for quite some time as it relates to the way that we do marketing, but the book, you know, echoed the sentiment, which is it's not about you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's about their current practices. Um, it's about finding a solution generically, independent of who's uh, who's providing that solution. And it really is about convincing them your status quo is broken, you know, taking them from from A to B. Um, and yeah, so what kind of ammo do you need to support your commercial insight is the way that they would put it. And I think an important point to make about the idea of the commercial insight um, is that it should uniquely lead back to you. Right. So not just that any provider like you or somewhat like you could also deliver on that same promise. So how do you generate that demand? The, the, the simple answer is by providing some sort of commercial insight. I'll use a really simple example that came up in the book. They refer to Xerox. We all know who Xerox is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long ago this was, but what they realized was, um, or what their hypothesis was, the hypothesis for their commercial insight was color printing can help improve student performance. Right. They felt that, you know, in their bones, so to speak, they felt that was their differentiator between them and a lot of their competitors in the education space. Let's go out and prove it. So they did studies. They did research. Um, They went out and spoke to educators and got testimonial videos. That was the kind of, A, it was the research they did to, let's be honest, they were confirming their bias on some level. They believed it to be true and they went and created the information that supported it. But in talking to educators and in talking to students, and like I said, doing the research, they did find that there was a lift, so to speak, in um, educational quality when the prints that, you know, the printouts the students were given were in full color and were of a high quality. Um, but again, in, in going through that process, they ended up with the content they needed to go and educate the market. Mm. They had the testimonials that they could use in video form or in, you know, copy text form on their websites. Um, they had some statistics that, that were results of the reports that they could go out and put um, in media outlets, you know, through press releases or through partnerships with educational, you know, uh, associations and things of that nature. So that's in essence what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, generating demand is is taking 
someone who isn't currently thinking about your product category and making them think about it through that, again, frame-breaking idea of going, did you know as a superintendent, as a, you know, a high-level educator, that your students could be performing better if you were providing them color prints? No, I didn't know that. I didn't right, think that had right. anything to do with student performance. Mm-hmm. You've bro- you know, broken my mental model a little bit. And now I'm thinking, okay, um, based on this data, and again, this isn't something that happens immediately. Right. It's something that happens over... They don't over- just turn around and say, I, I want all the Xerox, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not at first evidence that people <laughs> right. are like, you, you know, you got my business. Who, who can <laughs> right. provide me this solution? <laughs> yes, I'll but, take 30. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this might be something depending on, um, and we talked about this in the, in the previous episode, the burden of proof increases or decreases depending on how kind of mind-blowing your insight right, is. Right. If it's something where you go, you know what? I didn't know that, but like I could understand that being true, right. which I think might be true for Xerox. Okay, yeah, something's in color. It's high quality. It makes sense to me that that might have some impact. But there were other examples of commercial insights where you were like, holy smokes, we're connecting – um, hygienist. I don't know if you guys remember this example. Yes, yeah. Dent mm-hmm. supply, yeah. Mm-hmm. Their wrist health to profitability in my practice. Like, you mm-hmm. got to connect the dots for me. So there's right. a higher burden of proof. It's going to take longer to convince, you know, a right. dentist, a doctor uh, of that thing being true. But yeah, that's what demand gen is. Taking someone who isn't looking for your product right now and then by introducing an idea, they go, okay, there is maybe something flawed about our business practices. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should reach out to these people and hear right. a little bit more about what they have to say. And I think, you know, not to fully segue us there, but then it's, okay, so you get a foot in the door, hopefully with the right person, the right. advocate or what they call the mobilizer in the book. Um, and then we can we can get into that in a little bit as far as what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of parlaying on that, another way that I think about it is, and I was reading up on some of this stuff, is I use the word unteach, right? And let me, let me throw a sentence out at you. Challenger marketing aims to unteach customers something they already know or believe about how their business currently operates and when you think about it in that realm right yep. commercial insight is one thing but but if you think about it oh my gosh you know you're you're going to be speaking to an audience now that you're trying to market to part of that is unteaching them what they already know or think or believe yeah. about how their business operates because exactly. that's the inertia that we talk about oh my business is fine why would i want to stop using excel <laughs> to, right, right. to manage assets in my inventory. Well, because it's really bad, you know. Yeah, but, you could but, be saving 12 hours per week. <laughs> Holy so smokes, is of, that true? Yeah, yeah. So right. as part of the perspective that I, you know, crystallized in my mind was unteaching, right, you know, as, right. as much as teaching yep. people, you know. Yep, agree. Right. Well, and, and you know, we've discovered this from our time working on these campaigns and, and the years that we've been working on them together that, you know, it's the, the content itself there's a bit of a less is more approach to it, mm-hmm. but there's also, to your point, again, that idea of if you want someone to be led back to you, it's because you are addressing needs and challenges and pain points that you specifically can fix and you and only you ideally. So it might mean that maybe you have one small little differentiator from all the other competition and you want that to be part of it. Maybe it's not the lead. Maybe it's not the most important thing, but you know, when we do this content, we're doing like four or five bullet points that we're saying like, Hey, here are the, the four, four greatest challenges to your business in X, Y, Z. And that's the title of the content. That's what draws someone in. Everyone loves the list. It's that clickbait type thing that draws people's attention in. And you're going through those four and you know for sure that all four of these are pain points, but you're, yes, to your point, the most important, biggest one you're spending the most time on is the one that's your differentiator. And so then when they finally get to the end of all that and they're like, yeah, 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 that's right. And then you're also softly suggesting like, hey, a solution like XYZ, not even necessarily calling yourself out yet, 
But a solution that does this, a software and a hardware combination that does this could help with these problems. Here's how it helps with those four problems. And then at the end, you're going, and oh, by the way, company XYZ is the person that you want to talk to about all this. Mm, we right. have the expertise in this. But you'll notice, again, it's all about that kind of soft pedal. It's that soft sell. Mm -hmm. It's not being aggressively advertising. It's mm -hmm. not the, again, if someone is downloading a piece of content and a brand's on it or something, they're not dumb. They know that there's kind of an advertising aspect there. But ideally, they start reading through this content, whatever it is. And, you know, in our case, we do a lot of eBooks. And they're, as they're reading through it, they go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, they're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they know about this. Yeah, that is a pain point for me. Oh, that does sound interesting. That does sound like an interesting way to do that. And they're kind of forgetting that they're being kind of advertised to along mm -hmm, the way. Mm -hmm, right. And then they get to the end and that piece is there. And it's not overly, again, not aggrandizing, not like, you know, call right now or do this right now or we're the <laughs> no. best at this. It's just more of a, hey, by the way, if you are looking for this, we can help you out. We're the and ones ideally, who can again, provide it. Right. Yep. It's, it's just all about going back to the previous you know, episodes, that idea of getting in front of these people before they're in this process of making these decisions, ideally before they even know they need to be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So at least your name and your brand and what you know and your expertise is out there in front of them so that then later on, when they come across you at a trade show, when you reach out to them in other ways, when you're, you know, nurturing, you know, whatever lead you got out of them for checking out that content, they know who you are, they understand your business, and they know that you know something about them. So they tend to be a little bit more receptive to having that conversation. For sure. And I think that's what leads us to then finding the people that you need to find, because those are ideally going to be the people that are reading this content, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. And I just want to add real quick, John, to your comments. One of the things we found in the marketing we've done you know, collaboratively with our partners is that sometimes your kind of unique angle on a market, on a technology type, is who you solve the problem for. Right. You know, hey, there's right. a lot of people. Let's use RFID as an example. There's a lot of people that can help you track assets more effectively, count uh, inventory or assets more quickly, but we do it for manufacturing companies in plastic. You know what good, I mean? Well, what point. do you mean? Tell yes. me more. What's mm. different about, okay, so these guys say they do it for 800 different industries, but you say you do it for us. Tell me more. Yep. What do you know about me or what's different about your platform that, that makes it you know kind of custom built for yeah. me? So I think that kind of angle is important. And then I just wanted to also add that oftentimes the company, the supplier company that is viewed as evangelizing the category, not their brand specifically, but they're doing marketing to say, hey, RFID is a solution to these very specific problems. If you were the one educating the market on the need for your category, not your mm -hmm. brand, mm -hmm. but your category, you're often viewed as the leader mm -hmm. because you're spending all the time convincing. You know, it's yep. Tesla's mm -hmm. the obvious example in, in the electric mm -hmm. vehicle space. They spent all of the, you know, well, I don't even know how much money they spent. They've done a really great job of not doing a lot of advertising. People do their advertising, which right. is another segue into what right. we're going to talk about next. Um, but they are seen as the leader because they were the ones that went out there first and said, hey, this is the future. So, yeah, to your point now, um, again, they refer to the people you're trying to reach in these organizations as the mobilizers or the advocates. Um, and the key, I think, about them, the thing that stood out from the book about these people, is they are the ones willing to fight not for you, supplier A, they're willing to fight for an idea. Right. So that's why it's important that you're not overtly or overly brand you know, uh, specific when you, when you approach these people through your marketing. It really is about, to these types of people, and they, they classify uh, mobilizers. And we talked about this in the earlier um, series, I think. 
there's all different types of, I don't exactly know how they phrased it, but types of people Buyer within organizations. Types, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Profiles, mm-hmm. customer profiles. And I believe the three that mobilizers are most likely to be are teachers, skeptics, mm-hmm. and go-getters. Mm-hmm. And they kind of explained how, you know, the go-getter is all about, yes, improving the business outcome, but kind of also um, making it look good on them as being right, the person right. that said, hey, look what I found. This is going to help us in this kind of way. Uh, and they're a little bit, I think the go-getter ones, there was a little bit less uh, worried about all the details in the upfront. Hey, this looks cool. Let me mobilize this idea within right. my organization. We'll figure everything out later. Whereas I want to be the first person to talk about it, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to know all the details. Yeah, we'll worry about people. that later. Right. And I think it was the teacher that was kind of the opposite. They're also interested in bringing ideas to the table, but they, they want to know everything up front in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. T's crossed, I's dotted. And then the skeptic is exactly what they sound like. They're here for great ideas, but they're skeptical. They want you to explain the business value and really go deep before they're going to will- they're going to be willing to fight for you. But they'll definitely go fight throughout their organization. Right. And that's the concept of the challenger customer, the mobilizer. Is that person that if my effective marketing, the commercial insight, I've upended or un- untaught them, um, and I've convinced them, they're going to go sell the rest of that five to six six-person buying group on our behalf, but they need our help right. along that journey, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's kind of where we come into the what was referred to as a mobilizer kit. So on one hand, we created all this great content to attract a mobilizer. Mm-hmm. And now that we've attracted them, um, we've convinced them through our storytelling that, hey, this is this category, this type of solution is really what we need because it addresses a specific issue that we have that, again, maybe we didn't fully realize before we were confronted with this information. Now I'm going to go and spread the gospel you know, throughout my org, through finance and IT and everybody else and say, hey, this is a problem we have. We all can agree on it, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, we can kind of agree on it, but someone's going to have an issue. At that point, it becomes our job. And, and quite honestly, it's kind of where marketing hands off to sales a bit. You mm-hmm. know, marketing has done their demand gen job. We've got someone on the hook on some level. They've reached out. They've raised their hand. Mm-hmm. They've downloaded a piece of content. Maybe they've asked for a demo or, or whatever. We're, we're aware of them at this point. Now marketing goes, all right, sales, it's, it's on you, but here's what you're going to need. Right, right. <laughs> and so marketing continues to create content, but it, it's really – holding hands with sales and saying, hey, what do we understand about the buying process? Mm-hmm. What kinds of objections are going to come from this group of people? What does finance and IT and um, everybody else care about? Mm-hmm. Let's go and create the diagnostic tools that we can, you know, as a group, they can get together and kind of debate it out. And that was a really another really interesting part that they explained was uh, the salespeople that they've referred to as core performers, mm-hmm. not the high performers, but like the core ones, would try to avoid the debate because they were worried the right. deal was going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Whereas the really high performing sales reps would say, these conversations have to happen. Yeah. If Challenge. on the other end, they're challenging. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. If we're yeah. going to come out of the other end with a high value deal, mm-hmm. I need to try to facilitate these conversations. Mm-hmm. I might not be right in the middle of it, sitting at the table, but let me put my mobilizer in the spot and, and give he or she, the ammo they need to go and make the case. So, you know, that was the kind of concept of that mobilizer kit. And, you know, I think it would vary what that would look like, what kind of ammunition they would need, but I thought that was a pretty cool concept. Yeah, I agree. So there's a couple things and yeah. that you... Do some unpacking you there. Can we do a little bit of unpacking <laughs> on some of that <laughs> As stuff? As loves to say. Right, yes. absolutely. So, and I don't know if we'll get into this, but let's talk about, let's, let's stay with, now you have to educate your mobilizer, right? And we delineated that there's three types of people in there, teachers, the skeptics, or the go-getters. To me, those are, those are different audiences, right? Yeah. Those, oh, yeah. those and you approach them differently. Personality too. types yeah. are going to react differently to information. I mean, a go-getter 
is probably going to be a little mm, less on the on the facts. You know, just give me the high level stuff. Maybe it's just the, the glossy whatever ebook that right. uh, that has the the graphs and stuff like that would probably do. But a teacher, they're probably going to want like a white paper, right? They're going to want more information to, oh, wait a minute, I got to understand what we're talking about here right. at a more granular level. So let's let's dialogue about that. I mean, are we creating content to feed all of those personalities? Good point. I mean, so what I would say is... And I don't mean we as in Blue Star. I mean, <laughs> as an advertiser. We are, if we're a marketer, <laughs> right, is, right. Is, that, is that, are we putting that on our to-do list? Okay, you know, we want to go after the mobilizers, but we're going to have to tweak. We know what the message is or whatever, but now we're going to have to kind of tweak it to feed because we don't know who's going to react to it, right? I would say, and again, just my opinion, that the marketing message mm -hmm. could be the same for those people. Right. Because they're going to hear it and go, there is value here. Right. And then when you connect with them, I think it's that process. It's mm. the go-getter. And I, I was kind of trying to figure out which one of these I am. I think I'm the one that once I recognize that there might be value for us here, I kind of, I'm quick to go and say, hey, Dean, hey, John, right. without all of the questions answered. So for me... Let me go and do my thing, but you. But we're all going. No matter if it's the teacher who goes, okay, I'm interested, but like, walk me through this. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the skeptic who says, I'm interested, but I'm sure that there's something you didn't tell me that is going to unravel this whole thing. Yep. So I think it's the initial conversation between the salesperson and the mobilizer before before they're willing to go and fight for you or fight for the idea. They're not fighting for you yet. They're fighting right. for the idea because you know who knows something falls apart and they're like, this wasn't the right supplier. This one is. Right. So that's that's my take on it. Is the quickness or the uh, how slowly they're going to be willing to go and have that conversation mm -hmm. depends on who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, so it might be mm -hmm. like I said, they reach out and maybe it's a couple of weeks with the skeptic or the teacher before they go, okay, now I feel comfortable that when I go and get excited in a meeting and Dean asked me a bunch of good pointed questions and I go, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know any of those things. <laughs> the go-getter's not so worried. We'll figure it out. Let me go back and learn, but I'm yeah, sure right, there's something right. here. They're Whereas fishing. The, the go-getter's fishing. You know, they're, they're throwing out a concept, an idea, seeing what the reaction is. Waiting for people room. to shoot holes in it. Exactly. Yeah, we'll go figure right. it out as yeah. a team. Right. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But maybe from a marketing perspective, knowing that, that you have these different audiences uh, should be a part of your strategy. Meaning, maybe you're your seminal piece and going out and attracting people, your clickbait is the ebook or whatever. But if you develop that, maybe you should have some a little bit more information behind it because once you attract somebody like a teacher, well, you know that the teacher is going to now look for a white paper or a case study sure. or some other material to kind of back whatever the initial message was, no, right? Great point, because maybe those people wouldn't reach out to you in the same way a go right. who gets excited, they're willing to talk to somebody or email with somebody. So yeah, like- Or maybe know, it's some blog posts that you've pre-developed, you know, to you get yourself in the, in the mind of the teacher. What would, you know, okay, so we've pitched this, but what's the granularity that person might be kind of looking for? You're interested about RFID, but what about the cost? Yes. Read more about right. you know, right. achieving ROI and, you yeah. know, it's a really good point. It's, yeah. a, it's a fantastic point. Yeah. You know, as someone who I feel like I kind of fall somewhere between the, like the role of teacher and skeptic myself. Like I can be very skeptical at first about mm -hmm. like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, right? whatever. You're just trying to sell me something that I don't really need. <laughs> but then if I'm on board with Sales something, or, nightmare. Or, that's who you are. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> or, or if I'm someone who was more interested in the beginning, I tend to be the teacher type because like I'm also the type who does a lot of research before I'll buy mm -hmm. something. Like mm -hmm. I'm the person who will spend hours looking through all different types of cars from different companies mm -hmm. before finally walking into a dealer and saying, I yeah. want to test drive that. Right, right. And, you know, and again, it's, it's that, you know, we're getting back to that point where the salesperson, 
doesn't necessarily know that or think about that, or they're not asking the right questions to identify what I am. Because if they did, they would realize like, all right, I don't have to, I don't have to start with the basics with this person. They've already done a lot of the research and work to get here to even have this conversation. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think, I think like the, the skeptic type, Mm -hmm. if that's the person you can find could be the absolute most valuable one, because Typically, if you're getting one of these buying groups together and you're mm. and you're bringing someone in who is the skeptic, and let's mm-hmm. be honest, there's almost always one oh, yeah. in every mm-hmm. buying group. People know who they are. Yeah, people know exactly who they are, which means that if they're the person that are the most readily on board or are advocating this, that's going to make a stronger impression on the people rest of that group listen. than anybody else. Because if it's the go-getter, everyone I, expects them to be like, oh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, right. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're the yeah, hype yeah. train. You're always right. coming through with some cool idea that's going to cost us a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. might have value. Everyone knows that person, too. But yeah, if it's yeah. the skeptic that you've brought on board and they come in and they're going, yeah, I think there's some legs to this. You know, I'm, I, yeah. I see some value in this. We, you know, we probably need to talk about some other things. But yeah. here's where I think yeah. this can actually make a difference. Uh-huh. They're going to listen to that person and go, wow, like mm-hmm. they got John on board. Yes. And he's mm-hmm. usually all against everything we try to do. I'm going to call out somebody else at Blue Star. I think if Jeff Straley walked into an executive board <laughs> meeting and said, guys, I found this or someone else brought it to my attention and we need this, right, people right. are going to go, if you've convinced Jeff, then we probably need this. We probably ought to just cut the check. Exactly. You know, but from a marketing perspective, I think it's important to, to understand you know, in that to a certain degree. Now, what do you do about it? You know, I'm putting my VAR hat back on if, if you know, I have a small marketing ability, if you will, maybe right. one or two people at it. I'll throw this on the table that maybe you're you're the one creating the masterpiece, if you will, but leverage vendor information to help maybe continue to paint the picture of whatever the solution is or what to Great feed point. into the education mm-hmm. of the skeptic or the teacher. You don't have to be out on an island where you're creating it all. You know, consider the partners that are in your ecosystem. Yep. What do they have that you can put on your website, put on your landing page, promote socially or whatever to back kind of the overall story, right? right? right. And that's very much what we do in our marketing. You know, it's not just a because, you know, when okay, let's, as an example, when we go out to do one of our campaigns, mm-hmm. one of our content campaigns, we usually go to the the person that, the you know, the partner that is going to be like the first main touch point, the ones who are kind of chasing the leads. Mm-hmm. And we'll always ask them like, hey, fill out this form with details about your product or your solution and what it does. And they'll do that. But that's not the gospel of the whole thing. We don't just take that copy paste, stick it in an <laughs> right. and run with it. Because we know from our end, like, all right, you got to have more to the story mm-hmm. than just this. Mm-hmm. So we take that, we go out and do maybe some of our own research into mm-hmm. this market and into their pain points and needs, find stats. That's something we've become a big fan of is some eye-catching statistics that can pop off the page because that can be something that maybe gets the go-getters excited yeah, right. or whatever. Exactly. Like, oh, man, they say mm-hmm. that, like, implementing this software reduces... 40% pro- reduction. Yeah, yeah, reduces, you know, what time wasted by 40% or something. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's all that little stuff you piece together where you're ideally, whatever you're putting out there in the world to try to attract attention and create this demand as we keep talking about should be something that sort of addresses all three of those buyer types mm-hmm. in some way. Like there's mm-hmm. going to be some teaching elements to it mm-hmm. where you're kind of explaining things a little bit mm-hmm. to the person that wants a little more depth. Mm-hmm. There's going to be the eye popping stuff that jumps off the page for the go getter. And then there's also going to be maybe some stuff that addresses the skeptic mm-hmm. of like, you know, if you don't think that it's important to have this, mm-hmm. here's a case study mm-hmm. from another customer. Just like you. Who, just yeah, like you right. who implemented yeah. mm-hmm. this and how it improved their system, you know, yep. or their service, their business, their output. That's, right. That's the kind of stuff I think if, if your content is trying to address all of those at once in at least mm-hmm. small little ways, mm-hmm. that's that's the hook you're giving to each one of them. So to, to the point you made earlier mm-hmm. of 
how do we go after each one of these people when we don't know who exactly is picking up on this? Mm. Ideally, you're you're giving all of them a little something, mm-hmm. and then in your in-depth conversations, your nurturing process, your outreach, and as you grow a conversation, you learn more about who they are and figure out what their type is if you don't already know for some reason. Yep. If we're lucky enough to have salespeople listening to us right now or when, when we publish, I'll bet there are some that are saying either, oh, yeah, I know when, when I have someone reach out to me because marketing's done a good job or because sales on the outbound has done a good job, I do notice if someone seems like they're excited and they're willing to go and, and fight for us right. or the people who are more skeptical, people who need a little bit more information, but they just haven't had the words to it. Or maybe this, I just think being aware that the people who are going to reach out to you are likely to fit in one of these boxes is going to help you. Yep. So maybe when you get a go-getter on the line and you're like, this person's really excited, this is awesome, this is great for me, maybe on the sales side is when you kind of, not pump the brakes, but go, okay, let me give this person a couple pieces of ammunition to take with them so that right. they don't get caught, you know, being the opposite mm. of the skeptic. Mm-hmm. People, again, you come in the room and it's something every quarter that you're excited about. Right, right. Let's, this time when they come to the to the meeting, to <laughs> you know, they come to the table, let's have them have a little something to go. And here's the answer to the question I know you have. And here's the que- right, answer to the right. question I know you have. I'll deal with the rest of you later, but let me get you two on board with me. <laughs> or you know. ask those questions. It's okay right. to, when you're talking to that person to ask him like, hey, who else is going to be part of this process? Absolutely. Who else? Are you, who are you going to have to convince mm-hmm. to do this? If you're on board of this and you like it and you think it's a good thing, who? who what happens next? Like I'm assuming you're not the one that gets to make that decision right now, or mm-hmm. or it's not just your decision. Who else are you going to be talking to? And mm-hmm. I guarantee you, again, if you just have a free form conversation with them and just most people are willing to kind of spill it a little bit. They'll be like, oh, well, I got to bring in my VP and my finance person. My finance person is going to completely just complain about the price on everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to complain. That should immediately be, you're writing it down going, all right, I got to send something about how price factors in and how, you know, even if this is more expensive than all my competitors, it's going to save them so X, Y, Z money. Right. We've done all the, yeah. the background work. So yeah, it's, it's just asking some questions, mm-hmm. getting some details. Don't just assume because that person called you and said, I'm excited about this. They're like, yes, I can't. Let's, let's make a schedule a meeting and get in front of your board and have a talk about it because <laughs> right. that's going to blow up in your face. Let's pretty fast. exclude anybody else who might have an objection and just <laughs> right. focus on this excited person. Yeah, it's not the path. And, and salespeople yeah. know that. I will say that this final portion of the book, not that I didn't already have a deep respect for the difficulty of, of the sales role, especially in an enterprise you know, situation, but man, you know, marketing's tough. So is sales though. What I, what I'm, you know, and then the, the last topic, I guess, or one of the last topics we wanted to discuss was the idea of buyer signals. Right. And again, I, I have never really been in sales outside of, you know, doing some telemarketing, uh, you know, in high school and college days and stuff like that. But they used ADP as an example. And you know, the workforce yeah. company mm-hmm. or whatnot, and how they have actions a seller can take. And and the idea was that a lot of companies focus on what can we do to push the deal. And of course, that's an important thing to consider. But the other concept they introduced was that of buyer signals, that you should be looking for what that mobilizer is telling you. Right. And ultimately, the kind of the ultimate goal is to have that person tell you, we acknowledge that we're doing something wrong that needs to change. And if you can align on that, then sure, there's still features and benefits and pricing to work through. But if if you've done that, then you're in a good spot in terms Mm -hmm. of having, you know, disrupted a mental model, gotten someone to look at the world and their business Mm -hmm. from the perspective you want them to look at it. So 
Yeah, that's that's kind of where they left things. So yeah. you get in front of people through smart marketing, and then once you get them on the hook, you know, you find that mobilizer who's willing to go fight for the good idea. Yeah. So well, and I'll say that as someone who's been in sales a decent chunk of my life, and it's never, I, I'm, I'm, let's put it this way, I'm a better marketer than I am a salesperson. <laughs> always, <laughs> always have been, always will be. But you know, of the myriad different types of trainings and you know, sales, you know, pitches and, you know, and, and the types of ideologies of sales that you're going to find, because there's a million different ones out on the market. You can find a millions of different books mm-hmm. that'll teach you how to be the perfect salesperson. One of the things that you find pop up most often is don't be afraid to ask for the business. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, there's been a lot of people that I've known when I was in, in sales management, it was a hard thing to train people sometimes that like mm-hmm. when they got to the point where they were getting those buyer signals, mm-hmm. when it was pretty clear that the person they were talking to was sold and invested and they had a hard time just just that one little hurdle of saying okay well can we move forward with this are you ready for me to send you a uh you know a, a, a an invoice are you ready you know to to talk to my my order person or something or you know cut a mm-hmm. po for us like mm-hmm. just that simple ask mm-hmm. can be the most terrifying thing for someone in sales to realize yeah. like because that's the point where you either win or you lose right. and that's no right. one wants to lose they all want to win but everyone's so scared of losing that they they're afraid asking. of yeah, yeah. They, they delay that asking yeah. or they start continue to pile stuff on like well then we can also do this and we can do that and we can do this and the person's like i I'm I'm ready here. I'm done. And then potentially you I mean, I don't know that you'd push them away necessarily, but at least like you're again, you're delaying that and maybe you're delaying it to a point where someone else gets to come in and kind of throw a wrench in the deal and stop it from happening. So or you start offering incentives and things you didn't need to offer and you erode the quality of the deal. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you know so when you get those signals, don't be afraid to do something about it. That's my if there's anything I learned in sales, it was that it was don't yeah. be afraid to do something yeah. about it. Which Recognize is, when you've really got somebody on the hook. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I think the challenger in this model does the best. Right. Yeah. Because to me, a challenger is going to ask that question. Uh, and then move on. You know, right. if, if, if if there's nothing here, I'm moving on to the next one. I'm going to challenge the next company and try to get the next deal as opposed to, you know, a problem solver or some of the other people that they have, you know, quantified here where, yes, they're going to, well, I think, you know, they're interested in it, but and they'll just keep, keep it along, keep right. it along, keep it along. And they keep dragging the deal out for like another six months until it just dies. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the concept around this mobilizer kit then? What's, what's the idea there where we're trying to arm people within, you know, now that you found your mobilizer, because this is, you know, and you're kind of transitioning it over to sales, right? We kind of left it that you want to arm sales with, with some information. Is that is that the kit? Uh, is yes. that what we're talking about here? We want to give sales the tools that they need that when when they have a, the question or, you know, because oftentimes I was in sales, I'd ask for the order. So what's preventing us from moving forward? And then they would tell you, yeah, right, <laughs> oh, right. well, here's all the, the the issues that I'm dealing with. You know, I got to convince this guy or whatever it is. Yeah, they're invested, right? The right. mobilizer, if you've, you know, done all of these steps perfectly, they're invested. They want this to happen like you do because they want to see the value in the business. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would imagine for more mature companies, they probably have a pretty darn good idea of the roadblocks they run into. Mm-hmm. But for newer businesses or, you know, with new products and whatnot, I think you're exactly right, Dean. You've got someone on the other side, you know, the email, of the phone or whatever, who's going to give you the information that you need in order to map that journey and say, okay, in a typical deal, not that it's always going to go the exact same way, here are the big objections we run into. And then it is creating in the same way that we said in the upfront, you need to create your case studies, your mm-hmm. testimonials, mm-hmm. your product videos that show exactly what the platform can do. On the other end, it's the same. It's what are the reports, the diagnostic tools, the things like that that are for the different departments that basically address exactly what their issue is. And 
maybe they're not going to be happy with the information, but you at least provide it so right. that there's clarity so yeah. a decision can be made. Yeah. Well, and again, I think if you just ask that question of like, who else are you going to have to put this in front of? Mm-hmm. And what do you anticipate their reactions and questions about? being? And if they'll tell you what that stuff is, and then you'll be like, okay, here's the stuff I'm going to give you to help out with those. Oh, that one's going to be concerned about price. Here's that. This one's going to be concerned about the time for implementation. Here's how we will help out with that. Mm-hmm. Just give yeah. them that information. And and- Sorry, I was just going to say quickly, we talked about this once before, but it's facilitating the difficult conversations. That is what the high-performing sales reps walk right into, whereas, you know, the core performers say, oh, gosh, what if we facilitate this conversation, it goes horribly bad, and we lose the deal? Well, then to your point, Mm -hmm. you you move on to the next one. There's Mm -hmm. no deal to be had. These conversations have to happen in order for you to come out the other end, ultimately, again, with what you're looking for, which is a high-quality deal, not a lowest common denominator. And in this whole mix, you know, we have to understand the fact that marketers need to have a good relationship with sales so that you can get some of this feedback loop true, right? I mean, as you go through the process... You're not on the front line like a sales, if you're a marketer, you're not on the front line like the sales rep is that's dealing with these. Uh, you need to understand what those roadblocks are so that, that now you can either develop pieces around it or educate the team on, oh, you're going to hit this roadblock, use this piece of information or whatever, yeah. or, or develop it around that. That's why that's really kind of critical, right, to have that relationship. Absolutely. And to build on that, one thing I've heard a lot of smart marketing people say as well is speaking to your closed lost accounts. Mm. Easier said than done, but yeah, if you mm. can find a way to get those people on an email or on the phone to go, hey, understood that we lost the deal. Can you help me understand why? And some of them are going to never respond to your email, right. but man, what what great information you could have there yep. to say, yeah, you know, we were all on board, but you were missing a key feature. Right. And what again, a lot of salespeople are terrified to do that, or they have a chip on their shoulder. Like, well, I didn't get their yeah. business. Screw them. I'm off. Right. I'm going to go somewhere else and do, do my Take job. Like, personal, no, right? talk to that person. Find out like, hey, <laughs> you know, I thought we did a pretty good job at selling you on this, but we didn't get the business. Tell me what went wrong. Where did we, where yeah. did we fall short? Yeah. And maybe it's something then that you take back to product the mm-hmm. product team. Right. That's one Could of the be. things over the last couple of years I've thought of being obviously, you know, not obviously sales and marketing need to be in lockstep, but marketing and product when, when we are talking about like mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a software platform or something like that to say, Hey, this is what marketing and sales is running into. We keep losing deals to this competitor. They love us up until the point where we, they realize that we're missing this. Can we right. build this and address this issue? Right. Or maybe it isn't a feature. It is something else in the financing options or whatever. And you know, you can make adjustments. And then I think that's how you continue to kind of iterate on that mobilizer kit, creating the new content that addresses known issues. Yeah. yeah. Right. Talk to people. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I think we have finally wrapped up the Challenger customer. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Long time coming. Stay tuned for our next trilogy with, <laughs> with James Corey. Uh, they, no, this has been fantastic. I think this has been a good deep dive. Like I said, if, if you really want the full picture here, go back, find the previous episodes, listen mm-hmm. to all three of them back to back and to mm-hmm. back, and you might find uh, uh, the full comprehensive picture here. Or go out and get the book also. You know, I mean, like we get nothing out of this, but there's a reason why we're doing this. This was one of those books. You know, you mentioned you're kind of the go-getter type. You started reading this book and immediately we're firing off emails and messages to everybody. Like, man, I've been reading about this thing and it sounds cool like this. And I think there's a really cool thing here. So much data. And we immediately like, well, I think we need to do a podcast around this because clearly you're excited about it. So let's, let's talk about it with folks. So one of the things I loved is just how many charts and graphics and diagrams they had they really illustrated a lot of their key points which is pretty cool yeah i would recommend going and checking it out there you go well again i'll put the link to that in the show notes if you want to check out the book for yourself as well as the previous episodes uh before we wrap things up as always we want to thank our tech connect sponsors Uh, so a big thanks to data logic 
Elo, Epson, Honeywell, Intel, and Zebra. Thank you so much for your support of the show. We appreciate you. Uh, as always, if you want to uh, connect with us, first of all, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, smash the subscribe button to subscribe <laughs> to our channel. You're going to find all kinds of cool video content that we do on a regular basis, but you'll always be notified of new episodes of the podcast. If you listen on any podcaster of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, any way that you can leave a review or you know a, a, a rating of some sort, please do that for us. And of course, if you want to reach out to us, if you have thoughts about the topics today if you want a little more in-depth information i'm always happy to put you in touch with james if need be so you can reach out to us on twitter at tech connect tech connect pod wait twice try saying that 10 times fast yeah, really or you can email us tech connect at bluestarinc.com all right let's as always wrap things up with value to the var and what's tech connecting with us so yep I got the value of the VAR thing here, I think is a pretty simple one for all of us to answer yeah. once here, which is, mm -hmm. you know, how does Blue Star help out in this process when it comes to this idea of, of demand marketing and creating demand and getting people in front of people before they're deep into a buying process or before they even realize there's an issue going on in their business? How do we help out with that? James, I'll let you start. I'll put it in these terms because there's a lot of different angles to, to tackle this from. We are aligned strategically with our VARs and ISVs goals. We want the same things they do. Right. We want them to close new business. When we, when it makes sense for us to be involved from the hardware standpoint, we want to be involved. That's why these programs exist. So, um, you know, the pitch I always give is you can go and find any number of great marketing companies and agencies out there that are making a living and, and you know, are somewhat expensive in some cases, somewhat affordable in others. I don't know that they're that our partners, our partners, are going to find a better mix of capability and cost. We're not trying to make money off of our partners. We're trying to make money with our partners through selling hardware right. and them selling their softwares and services and all of those good things. So, yeah, you know, the, the last thing I'll say is the biggest outage I've noticed that's common across a lot of uh, partners that I've worked with is the um, is content, having the content, having mm -hmm. the, the videos, the testimonials, the case studies. We can help create that stuff through our Varcom program, through our Appware program, we can, we will go out and help you shoot those case study videos from peers of your ideal customers that are then golden in terms of, you know, marketing uh, content. Right. So yeah, check us out, bluestarinc.com, Varcom program and Appware program. We'd love to work with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say even more importantly, also, we will help you find the people to build solutions with if you need it. Mm -hmm. So if you are very good at one thing, let's say let's you're, say you're a software company. You're like, hey, I've got a, an amazing software solution, but I know I need hardware. I know I need services to go along with it. Let us know if you don't already have an ecosystem built around that. We'll be happy to help you put that together and 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 make that happen and introduce you to the right people. So you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us because if 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 you've got a great idea and you know your market and you you know you're ready to go out and win some business, but you just don't have all the tools that you need, again, come to us. We'll we'll make it happen for you. Yeah, it's really well said, both of you. You know, it's what is a value-added distributor? A value-added distributor adds value <laughs> to the yeah. chain. And one of the things that Blue Star invests in that makes us unique is marketing. The resources that we have behind it, the skill set that we have behind it, it we're going to be unlike any other partner that you have come across. Uh, and I know that's a bold statement, but I truly believe it. Yep. Uh, nobody else approaches the marketplace as a distributor like we do. The partnership is there. We're trying to enable uh, the ecosystem to grow business, to go out there and find net new. So uh, that's what it's all about. Yep.
There you go. I agree. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap things up, as always, with our favorite fun little segment, What's Tech Connecting with Us? This is where we get to talk about something in the world of science, tech, innovation that has caught our eye, has our attention, we're interested in reading about, uh, maybe we're excited to see happen, or our concern might uh, doom the planet to a fiery <laughs> death. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I feel like those end up being mine more often than not. Yes, yes, So, yes. <laughs> James, I'll let you start. What's Tech Connecting with you? I've got two quick ones. Sure. So I learned last night on LinkedIn... Um, from a guy from an enterprise SaaS company called Metadata, shout out to Metadata, that Bing ads, which I've never touched in my life, because do people use Bing? It turns out 34% of the PC market uses Bing. They own 34% of the PC computer user. Bing's a Microsoft product, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. preloaded out. Guess what other outlet Microsoft owns? Plenty, I'm sure. Um, LinkedIn. Oh, that's you right. can target people on Bing ads using their LinkedIn data. Interesting. I ah. did not know that. For anyone out there who hasn't heard me ramble on about LinkedIn, it is a fantastic targeting tool for right. B2B. Right. So it was one of those moments where I went, wow, I've never thought about using no. Bing ads. I didn't think anyone used it. Yeah. 34% isn't but we're 70%. Mac, we're Mac users, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But still, 34% of the PC market shares, a significant amount of people, and I can use their LinkedIn profile data to target them. Pretty powerful. Maybe worth looking into. Nice. Um, my second one really quickly, it's on the Web3 front, which trying to learn, you know, I'm following people on Twitter that are, you know, obsessed. But the idea, it's basically decentralized everything, right? Okay. Web3 is putting more power in the hands of the creators, the content creators, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the idea is decentralized social. This is the concept. Instead of Twitter mm-hmm. or LinkedIn or Facebook owning the content that we create, especially again, when I say we, the people out there that have millions right, of right. followers or thousands of followers, the idea would be that you own your own feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's on the blockchain and what have you. But the idea then would be that any number of developers could create their own Twitters that would feature everyone's content. But again, the the ownership of that content sticks with the creator. You know, so if you're Elon Musk and people are hanging off your every word, Twitter doesn't own that whole thing. Right. Elon owns his content. And then there could be, instead of just being one Twitter, there could be 200 Twitters developed by different people, and there are more options. So, you know, a a lot of it's... Yeah, yeah, it's still a little, you know... It's a little nebulous at this point. That's the word I was searching for. Thank you, John. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting as a concept where it's not... And, you know, as an advertiser, I thought about that too, where I'm like, okay, so if Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn don't own the audience and therefore all their data, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but... So oh, yeah. it, the world changes. And I think right. it would be a good thing if that's where ultimately we got yeah. to. Yeah. So. You've mentioned that to me as a concept <clears> before <throat> that we could probably tackle here on the, the podcast. It's one of those things like we need to find the right person that can talk about it. Because I, yeah, I've done like, yeah, I've done the reading and I kind of look at it and go, I get it, but I also don't get it. <laughs> it's kind of where I am too. And that's why I'm like biting it off piece by piece and going, okay, right. what could it mean for this or for right. finance or whatever? And So maybe somebody can help us dumb it down to the, the simplistic version. Yeah, and the hard part I'm having about that is the, the true social part of it. I mean, I think a lot of reasons why people get into social media is to connect with their friends. And now I'm talking about, you know, more specifically Facebook or something like that. But I mean, how, so how does that mirror into that? So, people would build that framework. They'd build Facebook. Yeah. But there would be lots of different ones. Okay. So it wouldn't be the one. But to your point, I think that's the part that maybe it's because it's our generation where I'm like, well, 
but everyone's on Facebook. Right. And I think the younger generation is like, well, that's part of the problem. Right. Yeah, I exactly. only want to deal with <laughs> these people. That, yeah. But in order to be anywhere, I got to be on Facebook. And so, yeah, yeah it's yeah. democratizing yeah. the platform ownership. So on the individual Which level. I, I, conceptually, I love. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, more people, if, if so to speak, the content feeding into Twitter wasn't owned by Twitter. It mm-hmm. was owned by each individual. Mm-hmm. And then that content could show up on multiple different platforms that different right. people could go out and build and monetize mm-hmm. in their own way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, it's still nebulous. Thanks again for the for the support on the word, John. But it's interesting. <laughs> Conceptually, I'm, I'm interested to see if, if it, anything ever comes of it. Right. Yep. All right. Well, that feeds, into, that feeds into one of mine. I got two of them, okay. too. Uh, so this is actually bad news. I think what you just proposed is bad news for what my headline. TikTok stars are out-earning CEOs. Wow. Did you? So TikTok. Uh, so do, do you, are you aware of these D'Amelio sisters on TikTok? I've heard. Because one of them's got a TV show now or something. They are. I don't know. Okay. Well, they're on. Uh, I'm on TikTok, but I haven't actually come across that. On the money. Yeah, they they raked in about eighteen million dollars last year alone. Just being so I asked, you know, my kids, so who and of course they know immediately who it is. I'm like, so what do they do? Well, they dance, they open things on TikTok and it's like and so I watched a couple of the videos and like she's reorganizing her makeup drawer and stuff like that. That's worth eighteen million, apparently. And then you know you got. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to make the point that that when, when younger people talk about content creation, that's uh-huh. what they mean. Yep. Yeah, that's con. I mean, it is. It, it is. is content, yeah. right? But it, for me, it was almost you know of disrupting my mental model. When I think about content, it's like it's something you got to sit down and work on and create. Right. Here's the PDF or here's the video, and it's like no. Well, no. I mean, it it can literally video. just be somebody turning on their phone camera and just yeah. randomly recording something they were doing that day. Yep. So Charlie and millions of people view it and like it and comment on it. Absolutely. So it's Charlie made more than the ExxonMobil CEO, more than the CEO for Starbucks. I mean, it's just the line is yeah. And then all the then they mentioned you know the second highest paid person on TikTok. So anyway, so that's bad news for TikTok, right? I mean, how do you monetize it or how do you, if it's not a channel anyway, I guess we'll see how that all pans out. Wow. But yeah. the other one that's tech connecting with me because I've talked about them before, it's that it's this Revel or Revel, the Russian group. Yeah. Well, apparently Russia says that they arrested 14 people associated with that prominent hacker attack, uh, attack group, if you will, and now they're disbanded. Uh, you know, these are the people so they who can are just respons- take out a different name and start all over. <laughs> these are the people who are responsible for that Microsoft Exchange hack that, you know, affected 30,000 U.S. Right, organizations. Right. And, patsies. Yes, no. yeah. So, I don't, do we believe that no, they're gone? Not even or, really. or was no. that just kind of like a little shell game thing? Yeah. Are exactly. they really in the gulags or whatever in, in, in the middle of Siberia? No, or, come or, on. Russia would never give those people up. Let's <laughs> no. be honest. Neither would we if we had. <laughs> exactly. No. Not even remotely. Uh, well, anyway, this story was all around how the big hunt game hunter has been neutralized and all this stuff. Right, Okay, right. so we're right. not believing that that's interesting yeah what's that connecting with you john so mine's gonna be fairly simple and by the time this episode comes out it may already be like yesterday's in the pan news maybe it actually already is because i came into it late is it are any of you playing wordle no yes so okay so wordle is just this very simplistic word game that is all the rage right now you may have if you're on yeah if you're on twitter you may have seen this because people love to post their scores there which will look like little Mm. blocks of Yellow and green and gray, gray. blocks okay. is all that, you po- that you're posting. And basically, it's a simple little word puzzle where you get six tries to guess 
a five-letter word. Yeah. Ah, okay, and got it. So if you just get, like, I think if you just Google Wordle, it's only on the web. It's only, like, you know, through a browser. Like, there are apps out there, but they're all, like, either illegal or, you know, copycat stuff or whatever. And I think Apple's been taking them down, too. Gotcha. Very simplistic. So basically, yeah, again, you get five guesses. Every time that you guess a word, if the letter is in the word but not in the right place, it'll highlight it yellow. If it's in the word and in the right place, it'll highlight it green. And if it's not in the word, it goes gray. And your little keyboard icon goes gray for it also. Okay. So you get these five tries to just figure out what the word is from those context clues. Mm-hmm. It's really not that difficult. If you right. if you know words, and again, <laughs> it's five-letter words, it's not that super hard to do. But it is oddly addicting. But only one new puzzle goes up every day. So oh, basically you do one, scarcity, you get your score, right? you can yes. go brag about it and share it how quickly you got it or didn't get it. Got or whatever. it, got it. And then it. you got to wait until the next day for a new puzzle. Got it. So it's, is the it's word unique for different people or it's the same word it's, for everyone? I think it's the same for everybody. Because I was day. like, I could totally go ruin this for everyone. Not that I would you ever could, do that, right, but yeah. I was like concerned other people I'm would. sure there is. I'm sure there's people out there that are just literally throwing oh, them out there. Waiting for somebody to answer it and then they're going to do it faster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quick comments on this. I'm going to brag, but first I won't brag. I'll talk about something else. I went looking for it and I went to the app store and I searched Wordle. I found an app called I Wordle and I downloaded thing, yeah. it. And the takeaway I had from that was, man, in 2022 and for, for years now, that kind of opportunistic ability to move quickly, man, it can really pay. Yeah. Meaning if yeah. that Wordle company had found a way to sell mm-hmm. ads and get it up there really quick, maybe it was just serendipitous, but I assume once I realized, oh, this isn't the app, so I'm right. like, this doesn't look like what everyone else right. is showing on Twitter. What the heck? I got the wrong thing. And I went and searched again, but then I went, wow. I assume that someone realized people are going to go look in the app store for yep. this. I'm going to build that. That was the first thing I did too. Really smart. You're really so smart. I played it one time, that real Wordle game. Right. I got it in two guesses. So the word nice. was solar, and I just guessed roast because R-S-T-A. <laughs> just the first word that yeah. came to my mind had a lot of common letters. And then, yeah, I think I had one green. So I had the O in the right place because right, roast right. and solar. And then you I had, had like three other letters. Yep, yep. So I got it, and I'm like, I'm never going to play this again. This is the best I'm ever going to do. <laughs> Posted it to Twitter, and I'm like, I'm out, baby. Yeah, you'd, be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised how many articles there are about there about like the perfect strategy you had to accomplish. You're like My strategy is simply oh, like, Lord. I just come up with a five-letter word where every letter is different. Uh-huh. And then, which because I think typically it is every letter is different. Like, maybe they do repetitive ones. I've yet to come that. across one with repetitive mm. letters. And then I'll do my second, even if I, if I get, unless I get like a lot of like in the right place to easily guess it. As long as I get a couple letters that are telling me they're in the word, I will do another word with completely different letters for the second line Mm. with the idea of, hey, I'm going to get even more information this second time and potentially end with at least two to four letters that are definitely in the word and then start making like legit guesses from there that include those letters. But again, everybody's got different strategies. It's... (laughs) And it's again, it's super simplistic. It's not hard. It really isn't. If you understand, if you know words, it's not that hard. And it's all about the flex on Twitter. Yeah, and, your and, and exactly. And like you know, cheating, <laughs> cheating would just be dumb anyway. Like, what's the point? Like you know, just it's it's a mindless game. There's nothing to gain out of it other than just mm-hmm. a little bragging rights mm-hmm. made with your friends. But, gotcha. gotcha. But check it out, Wordle. Just Google it. I think it's something like a power something dot uk slash wordle. Oh, UK, the, yeah. the um the guy who actually created it, his name is Jeff Wardle. Oh, so really? he just changed that to Wordle to kind of good, good branding on his part. Nice. So. nice. All right. That does it for us. That's what's tech connecting with us. Uh, hey, until next time, go out and uh, woo some of your mobilizers. There you go. Take them out to dinner. Buy them a box of chocolates. Give them some flowers. Tell them, how pretty, them. Tell them how pretty they look. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe don't get that creepy. Maybe just give them some good information that they can use. Uh, and, of course, as always, until next time, stay connected. Tech Connect Podcast is brought to you by Elo. 
Built with versatility in mind, Elo's Edge Connect offers a wide assortment of peripheral options for your digital display. Whether for endless aisle, self-order, or collaboration, you can seamlessly attach up to four peripherals to the touchscreen edge with flexibility to add, remove, or change later as needed. Temperature sensors, status lights, 3D or conference cameras, barcode scanners, card readers, collaboration tools, payment cradles. If you can't find peripherals to meet any customer need, you just aren't trying. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact your Blue Star account manager. TechConnect Podcast is also brought to you by Zebra. The DS3600KD is the latest addition to Zebra's line of ultra-rugged barcode scanners that define the market, establishing new standards for rugged design, scanning performance, and manageability. Warehouses, retailers, and manufacturers face unrelenting pressure to deliver more and to do it faster and more accurately. Help customers meet that challenge with the DS3600KD ultra-rugged scanner with keypad and color display. Built for the toughest environments, the DS3600 is virtually indestructible with an enhanced 10-foot drop spec to concrete, 7,500 tumbles, and a dual IP65, IP68 ceiling. The device reads barcodes in any condition, whether they are in hand or as far as 7 feet away. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes.